Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Thank you for being in church this morning. We're starting a new series, as you can see on the slides there this morning, entitled Money Matters. And uh, in, in my six and a half years here, this is only the second time that I've preached a sermon series on stewardship or on a biblical view of, of handling our resources. Our, and we're going to talk a lot about finances, but it's not just, we're not just stewards of our finances. We're stewards of our, of our lives, of our health, of our families, of our relationships, of, of, of our careers, of our children. Uh, we are stewards of all that God entrusts to our care. And I've preached one series on biblical stewardship as it relates to finances, and some of you will remember that series. It was three—well, not really. You might remember we did it. You're not going to remember much about it. Most of you don't remember what we preached a week or two ago, do you? Myself included sometimes. But, uh, but three years ago I preached, and you might remember some of that if you were here. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Most of this series will either come from this chapter or will springboard from this chapter. We're going to look at some of Jesus' teachings on finances as well over the next seven Sunday mornings. This First Timothy where we're going is a pastoral epistle. We call it, that word epistle just means letter. It's a letter written to a pastor. And so you have Paul writing to Pastor Timothy. So when you read this book of 1 Timothy, you're reading the words of a mentor writing to his son in the faith, a pastor, and giving him some advice on some things. And we're going to see here in this chapter, Paul told Timothy, Timothy as a pastor, you need to preach on this subject. You need to help your people, God's people, understand the right, proper mindset towards earthly things and towards the things that I entrust to their care. And again, if, as I go through this series, if you were here three years ago, you might remember, I'm going to use some of the same illustrations, you might remember some of these thoughts and some of these truths, but in that series I had such a great response to that material and it challenged me, and I think all of us as I've been going back through it, and there will be some things that will be changed and added, but, but it, I, there are principles and thoughts that all of us need to be reminded of in this series, and I hope that we'll open our hearts and, and ask God to speak to our hearts through that. I do want to, I did this three years ago as well. This is a short little book called The Treasure Principle. And uh, it's an easy read, it's about a hundred pages, probably would take you, oh, I don't know, maybe an hour or two to read. And uh, we did this last time, and again, many folks said thank you, that book really helped me shape my thinking, change some of my thinking. And if you don't have this book, and you promised that you would read it, we want to give this to you as a gift. I've got over on the table over here, I think there are about 50 copies of it here, and, uh, and if you'll take it, if you promise that you'll read it, we want you to take this this morning. I'll try to remember to mention it after the service this morning. If we run out, we'll order some more this week, and I know that many of you received this, if you, those that were here three years ago, and so we didn't order as many this time as we did last because uh, many of us already have a copy of that, but if you don't, if you didn't get it last time, or uh, you'd like to get it and you'll read it, we want you to take that with you. 1 Timothy 6 is a wonderful passage on stewardship from the Apostle Paul. 
Now, if you're naturally skeptical, I met a few folks that are here, one on work and some others here from Pennsylvania and, and one from Dana Point, I think, some first-time guests, and you walked in and said, you're the first time you're, oh man, the, this pastor preaching on money. If you're naturally skeptical about a pastor preaching on money, let me just remind you that Jesus spoke much about our attitude, our mindset, and our handling of our earthly resources. In fact, if you study the Gospels, Jesus uh, talked more uh, as it relates to volume on those topics than He did heaven and hell. Why? Because money is more important than heaven and hell? No. I believe it's because, uh, because Jesus understood we cannot separate our hearts from our stuff. Jesus said it this way. For where your treasure is, there will your hearts be also. If we don't have a right relationship with our stuff, we will not have a right relationship with our Savior. Our finances and our faith are, are, are impossibly intertwined. It's impossible to untie those things. We cannot separate our faith from our finances. It's interesting, the one disciple who struggled with the wrong relationship with finances also had a wrong relationship with Christ. And, and I also want to say, by way of introductions, we're getting started in this series, this, this topic, this series and this topic is being approached from a proactive way. This is not a reactive sermon series that I'm preaching. This is not, we looked at end of the year, we got the final offering totals in, looked at 2021 and said, we're in big trouble at Liberty Baptist Church, financially speaking. Uh, we're not sure if we're going to be able to pay the staff. We're not sure if we're going to be able to keep the lights on. People's giving has plummeted. We've got to figure out some way to manipulate everybody to give a little bit more to church. That's not where this series is coming from. In fact, we're not going to talk a whole lot, of, we'll talk some about it, but it's not really about make your offerings go up, it's about understanding how you are stewarding what God has given you. And the reality is, you'll see it next Sunday night in our victory night as we look at last year's giving, as we rejoice over all that God did in different ways last year, and we present the new budget and vote on deacons and things next Sunday night. You'll see that last year was actually the strongest financial year in the 45-year history of the church, and in the uh, 30-some, uh, I guess, what would that be, 40-year history of the school. The strongest year of finances. So this is not about, oh, this pastor's just looking to get in my pockets and figure out how he can get more money out of me because the offerings are struggling there at Liberty. God has provided for His work for 45 years, and I have no doubt that He'll continue to do so. This series is unashamedly a series in stewarding our lives, our investments of time, of energy, of money. We're going to talk about this a little bit next Sunday, but just by way of introduction, what is stewardship? This, the word stewardship carries along the idea it's the management of someone else's goods. A steward is somebody that has, has been given, entrusted to them something that belongs to someone else. Do you know that you and I, that's why the Bible calls us stewards? What we have is not ours, and I don't want to get ahead of myself next week, but it's not ours. We're stewards. The Bible says it's God that gives you the power to get wealth. You say, well, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. It's God that gave you that mind that can think that way. It's God that gave you that gift. It's God that blessed you in those ways, and we are stewards. Do you know that if God has entrusted children to your care, those are not—and I will say, that's my son, that's my daughter. I'm not against that. Those are not your children. 
Those are eternal souls that God has entrusted to your care for a short period of time, and we are stewards to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we are stewards, not owners. We are, and that changes. We understand that it changes how we handle things in life. We are stewards. We are managers, not owners of our children, of our health, of our careers, of our finances, of our gifts, of our abilities. And this sermon series, the way that I've developed it, is every message answers a question of about this area. Today's question we're going to answer is this question, are you rich? We're going to get into the message, the passage, to understand why we're answering this question this morning. Are you rich? Everybody just had a different answer in their mind. Different ones of you answered that differently in your mind. By way of introduction, I want to show you a picture. I want you to look at this picture, and we'll, and, and we'll go ahead and put that picture up. When you look at this picture. Do you see a, what looks to be a healthy, thin young lady? Talk to me, church, yes or no? Do you see what looks to be a healthy, thin young lady? Yes or no? This is a, this, this is a real person. Her name is Lucy Thomas. She grew up in England. Her dad is a journalist, and together they shared Lucy's story. You see, when we see a photo, photo of Lucy, we see what looks to be a healthy, thin woman. For many years, according to Lucy's own account, that's not what she saw. You see, she struggled with anorexia, a mental and physical disorder that millions of people around the world struggle with. And here's the interesting thing. Most anorexics don't see themselves as fat. They see themselves as not thin enough. We see her as thin, but in her mind, when she looked in the mirror, according to Lucy's testimony, when she looked in the mirror, she wasn't—now, she wouldn't have said she was just grossly obese or overweight, but when she looked in the mirror, she wasn't thin enough, and so that drive that she had to be thinner led her to do some really unhealthy things in her life. Show the next picture. At one point, Lucy got all the way down to 77 pounds. 77 pounds, very unhealthy, in a very unhealthy spot mentally, emotionally, physically. How did she get there? She didn't look in the mirror and say, wow, I'm fat. She looked in the mirror and said, I'm not thin enough, so I've got to do this that's not healthy. I've got to do that, that's, and I have an unhealthy approach to food and an unhealthy approach to, to all of those things, and it affected her overall health. Why? Because she didn't see herself the way she really was. I want to show you the next picture. I'm not going to ask you, when you see the man in this picture, I'm not going to ask you if you see someone who is thin, all right? Don't answer that this morning. When you look at this picture, the man in the middle there, do you—and don't answer this out loud either, all right? I don't know what kind of answers you're going to give. Do you see a rich person? When I look at this picture, and we're talking finance—some said yes, I don't want to hear that. You have kids, you're blessed, you're rich, or I don't want to hear that stuff. I'm talking about money, all right? When I look at this picture. Do you see a wealthy person? You know, the reality is, when I look at that picture, often, if I'm honest, I don't see a poor person. I'm not living in poverty. We have a very nice home that God has provided. We, we have a vehicle that gets us where we, we need to go. We have clothes to wear. We have food to eat. I don't see a, a poor person. I, I don't see a, a, uh, somebody living in poverty. But if I could be honest, often when looking at my own life, you know what I see? Someone who is not rich enough. I don't see a poor person, but I, I, I wouldn't say, well, I, I see someone who's not rich enough who could use a little bit more. And if I'm not careful, if I have a wrong understanding and a wrong mentality toward, it'll cause me to do some unhealthy things because I need to just get a little more. 
If we had a little nicer car, a little more in the retirement, a little more here. If I just had a little more, then we would be good. And here is the reality. When I see my picture sometimes, or, or look at my portfolio, if you will, I, I see someone who is not rich enough, and for many of us, it would be the same. We have convinced ourselves we are not rich. We are middle class. We are lower middle class, upper middle class. Rich are those people that have the super yachts out in the Caribbean islands, right? Rich are those people that own the sports teams. Rich are those those people that have the vacation homes in the Hamptons or whatever it might be, not me. I'm not rich. And like the anorexic, we'll say, well, I'm not rich. Bill Gates is rich. I'm not rich. Jeff Bezos is rich. You know, interesting story, true story. In India, Bill Gates with his foundation went and visited a village in India, and he walked into a little, a little kind of mud hut with a dirt floor, and, and they were there, and, and he began to talk to this lady, and, he walked, and this lady talked to Bill Gates, at that time the richest man in the world, and, and she walked back out of his hut, and somebody asked her, a journalist asked her, she said, do you know that you just talked to one of the wealthiest, richest people in the world? And you know what her response was? Everyone in the West is rich. We don't see ourselves the way that much of the world sees us. We don't see ourselves, and if you've ever traveled to a third world country and to some other places, you understand some of the blessings that poor people in America enjoy. And so this morning we're going to look at this and we're going to answer this question, 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Let's begin in verse number 17. Are you rich? First Timothy chapter number 16, I'm sorry, 16, 6, verse, verse number 17. Chapter 6, verse number 17. Would you read, would you read the first, oh, what is that, two, four, six, eight words up to the word world aloud with me, from charge to world. Let's read that aloud. Ready? Begin. Charge them that are rich in this world. Stop there. Here's the reality. This is why it's the first question. Because if this, if, if we don't accept the label in just a moment, if we don't acknowledge who we are, that we are what this is talking about, then this passage is pointless for us. And he says here, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good works, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, to give, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. We are going to break this passage down over the coming weeks and some other passages and answer some questions here. But this morning from this passage, and again, if we cannot answer the, with yes that we are rich, this passage does not apply to us and is pointless for us. But this morning I'm going to challenge you to do three things in our message. Number one, I'm going to challenge you to accept the label. Number two, I'm going to challenge you to acknowledge the side effects. And number three, I'm going to challenge you to adjust your heart. Number one from here, I'm going to challenge you to accept the label. Paul tells Timothy to charge or challenge or command. Who does he say there, church? Charge them that are what? Talk to me. Charge them that are what? Rich in this world. Charge them that are rich in this world. And this morning, whether you believe it or not, whether you, you want to push back at me and show me your bank account and your credit card statements and your debt-to-income ratio, and you want to you want to, you argue with me, I want to say to you, whether you agree or not, I want to congratulate you and let you know that celebration is in order because this passage is talking about every person in this room. 
Step one is for us to accept the label and understand that we are rich. Now I know what many in this room are, are saying, you're thinking, I'm not rich. Let me try to help convince you. I'm not rich in this world. If you've ever driven onto a car uh, lot in a car that's running fine, given someone the keys to that car, then you give them extra money so that you can drive off the lot in a different car that's running fine, so that you can drive home to park that car next to another car that's running fine in a garage. According to the statistics of the world, you are rich in this world. Let me try another one. If you've ever cleared out the fridge of old food, what we call leftovers, threw them away so that you could put in new food from the grocery store, you're rich in this world. Travel the world and find out. If you've ever stared at a closet full of clothes and told yourself, I just don't have anything to wear. Anybody do that this morning? Some of you did that this morning. You've ever stared at a closet full of clothes and told yourself, I just don't have anything to wear. I need some more. That's a rich person problem. If you own an animal that you pay to keep alive, and you have no intention of eating that animal, or at least using its fur for covering, you are rich. Have you ever complained about bad cell phone coverage? Rich people problem. Can't decide where to go on vacation? Rich person problem. Computer crash, slow internet, car trouble, flight delays, Amazon doesn't have your size, those are all rich people problems. Don't believe me? Think about this. In our Western culture today, we observe a five-day work week. We think, man, I am just wiped out. I worked 40 hours this week. Five days. Most people in our society work five days in order to have seven days worth of food and shelter, clothing and health care. We take that for granted because that's our culture, but here's the reality. That's unique to our little window in history. For most of the course of human history, people had to go and gather what they were going to get that day, what they were going to provide. What's more, there are households of three, four, five, or even more people that send only one person out into the workplace to earn money. And with that one person's earnings in some homes, the entire family can amass enough money in five days to give them food and shelter for seven days. In many cultures, that's inconceivable. If you've ever been on a missions trip or to a non-first world country, you know I'm telling the truth. We are literally the richest people in the history of the world, and we cannot admit we're rich. Why? Because relatively speaking, for some of us, you say, well, I'm not in the, what the media wants to castigate as the one percenters. Well, I'm not in the one percent. Oh, but you are. Do you know that if your household income, your annual household income is $48,000 a year, you are one of those wicked one percenters in the world? Now, I understand we live in the wealthiest country in the world, in America. China's gaining on us fairly quickly, but we live in the wealthiest country. And so you might say, well, I'm not in the 1% in America. And so because of that, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. I want to tell you. He said, charge them that are rich in the world. You and I are who he is talking about in 1 Timothy chapter number 6. He said, well, Pastor Ryan, I got you. I don't make, my household income isn't $48,000 a year. I'm not in the top percent of, of wage earners in the world. What about, is it 37000 a year? If, you, if your annual income is, household income is $37,000 a year, you're in the top 4% in the world. Say, no, Pastor Ryan, that's not me. 
As of 2018, if you have $4,210 to your name, you're richer than half the world's residents. That would be most of my children that live in my house. My kids, my teenagers, my three teenagers, according to statistics, are rich in this world. Have more to their name than half the world's residents. But somehow we don't want to admit that we're rich. Why is that? The problem is we don't feel rich. Like the anorexic, I don't feel thin enough. The problem is we don't see ourselves as rich. Gallup conducted, and we're going to get to the scriptures here, but, but, but we have to answer this. Gallup conducted a poll to see how different socioeconomic groups defined rich. Not surprisingly, everybody had a different definition, and nobody thought he fit it. For each and every person, rich was roughly double the amount possessed by the person defining it. They asked those that their annual income was about 30000 according to this poll, where they average about 30000 You know what those making $30,000 a year defined as rich? About 75000 If I just made 75000 a year, my problems would be gone. My life would be comfortable. I'd be good to go. Those making about 50000 a year, they perceive people that made six figures, $100,000 a year as rich. Those that made 100000 according to Gallup's poll, they said those that make 200000 they're rich, they're well off. Those that made $2.5 a year, they viewed those that made $5 million a year as well off. You know what we find out? Wherever we are, we know that there's always somebody that has more, and our life could always have a little bit more and be a little more comfortable, and there's always a bigger house to buy and a bigger, a, a nicer car to drive and more money to put into an investment and another business to start. And no matter where we're at, if we don't acknowledge knowledge that we're rich, we're always going to view that as this never-ending target. And like Lucy, if we have a wrong relationship with that, it will lead us to do unhealthy things, not because we would say we're poor, we're just not rich enough. Studies show, and, and, and so, so rich is a moving target for us. The biggest challenge facing rich people is that we've lost our ability to recognize that we're rich. And here's the sad part about our richness. Studies show that the richer people get, the smaller the percentage of money they give away. More on that in the coming weeks, but here's the point. Here's the point I want to give you. Having lots of money doesn't make you good at being rich any more than having lots of children makes you good at parenting. It's following God's plan for your riches that makes you good at being rich. And people who are good at being rich begin with the willingness to admit that they are, in fact, rich. I'm not talking about admitting you aren't poor. Most of us are there. I'm talking about admitting that we are rich. Well, no, I'm, I'm middle class. That's my point. American middle class is rich in this world. As you know, there are a plethora of books out there telling people how to get rich. On a global scale, we already are rich. We need someone to tell us how to be rich, how to handle these things well. Number one, accept the label. Talk to me, church. Are you rich? Some of you didn't want to answer that, did you? But I just need a little more. I'm with you. I get it. I understand it. It's, it's, it's a human nature thing. It's a Western culture thing. I get it. But the reality is in this world, we are rich, even materially. And we have to admit that's us. How are we going to handle those riches? Number two, looking here as we lay the foundation for this series, number two, we need to acknowledge the side effects. Acknowledge the side effects of worldly resources, of wealth, of, of material goods. 
There are potential side effects to having material blessing that our doctors never tell us about. In fact, here's the funny thing. You can go to, to our, through our school system for 13 years and never be really taught anything about financial management, about how to, how to earn money, how to save money, how to give money, what to do with it eternally. What, what. You can go to school for all of this time preparing you for life and have no financial education. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about our mentality and our mindset toward money. Acknowledge the side effects. Finances, wealth can have side effects. One man said, wealth is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. Solomon, the richest man on earth, said, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. What is he saying? If you don't understand the proper place for money in your life, you're never going to be satisfied with anything. That next car will satisfy for a short time, and then it will get old. That next house, but then you'll see somebody built a nicer one. That next job, that if you don't have the right mindset toward anything, that, that next thing is never going to fulfill you like you think it will. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. He that loveth abundance with increase. By the way, you don't have to be what we would call in America wealthy to love silver. There are a whole lot of poor people that we would call poor in our society that they just, I, I, I want money, I'll do anything, I'll do criminal things to get money. And, he's, and what, what Solomon says is, it's not going to bring you the fulfillment you thought it would. So acknowledge the side effects. When Paul writes to Timothy, he doesn't just tell him what to do with money. He focuses on what money is doing with him and with others. So what are the side effects of, 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 of wealth, of being rich in this world? Notice what it says in verse 17. Charge them, Timothy, pastor, preach to your people and let them know, those that God has blessed, charge them, here's the first one, that they be not what, church? That they be not high-minded. What is one of the side effects of wealth? It's pride. Pride. We have to guard against it because we have achieved, we have attained. All of a sudden, look at us. We're Americans. You're just a lowly and fill in the blank of another country. Oh, you live in that? Oh, we're, God somehow loves us more. No, God has maybe blessed us with more materially. He does not love us any more than any other country. He is, and they're, they're, we're stewards, and we're going to give an account. We have been given more. The Bible says too much is given, much shall be required. We've been given more. We have to be, we, we have more to give an account for how we use what God has given. And if we're not careful, the more we get, the more pride we can give. Paul, Paul, Paul said to Timothy, charge them that they stay humble, pride, having an inflated sense of self-worth. When our net worth is inflated, it only makes sense that our self-worth sometimes is easily inflated too. The more a person possesses, the greater his potential to acquire a distorted sense of reality. Early on, culture tells us that we are defined in large part by what we possess. It starts in elementary school. I don't know if you remember this. I remember this. I never, my, I was raised by a single mom, didn't have a lot of money growing up, and, and I, my, my mom was like, I'm not buying you a hundred dollar pair of tennis shoes. You're not getting that. I remember the first time I got a pair of Nikes. My grandma Phyllis, uh, who's still living to this day and today, and she's in, a, in a, re, a, a care facility in Northern California, my grandma Phyllis bought me a pair of Nikes, I think it was sixth grade. First time I ever had a name brand brand pair of shoes. And isn't it funny that even at that early age, I kind of define my value by the brand on my shoes. Just 
just a couple of slabs of rubber, some leather with a swoosh attached, uh, attached on the side of it, some thread, and I kind of walked a little taller. Walked into school and kind of just, you know, <laughs> moved my feet around so people would notice. Want them to see it. It starts very early, doesn't it? We begin to define our value by our valuables. We define who we are by what we have. It starts in our culture very early. Some of you remember the opposite. You, that car your dad drove, you were embarrassed to go to school in that station wagon. Dad, dad, drop me off a couple blocks from the school. I don't want anybody to see this. What, what is that showing? We define who we are by what we have. He said, Paul, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. They stay humble. They don't get an inflated self of, uh, sense of self-worth. self-worth. Well, I'm, I'm better, I'm more important because I, I have these things. Early on, that propensity to measure our value by our valuables began to form, and most of us contribute to this problem. Either we view ourselves more highly than we should because of our, our wealth, or we help others have an inflated view of self by treating that person who, who has more wealth than us differently or better. This is a danger for all of us. People around us think more highly of us than they should maybe, and now we begin to think more highly of ourselves acknowledge the side effects. Number one, pride. Number two, notice verse number 17, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Second side effect, misplaced trust. According to Paul, when you're rich in this world, there's a natural tendency for your trust to move toward your riches and away from God. It's one thing to have trust and riches. It's another thing to have trust in riches. Naturally, none of us believe we're guilty of this, but, but Pro- Solomon said in Proverbs, the richest man that ever walked, Pro- he said this, the rich man's wealth, Proverbs 18, 11, is his strong city and is in high wall in his own conceit. It's his strong city. It's where he finds his security. A strong city was like a walled, armored city that the, the enemies couldn't get through. And the, he, Solomon, who knew a little something about being rich, one of the richest men that ever walked the face of the earth. And he said, the, 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 the rich man's wealth is his strong city. If he's not careful, he stops trusting in the God who gave him wealth, and he begins to trust in the wealth. This is my security. This is how I'm going to take care of myself. This is how I know that I can protect myself. He said another in Proverbs 30, he said, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Notice what he said. There's a temptation. He said, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? If I, if, if I, if I have everything I ever wanted, I can just say, I'm all I need. I don't need him. But then he says, the other, the other danger is or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. And he said there's a danger here when you have a wrong relationship with money. It's, it's, a, it's a side effect whether you view yourself as poor or whether you view yourself as rich. If you're not careful, you have a wrong relationship, and it has a side effect on us. Those with, with material blessings can reach a point where their money becomes their source of safety and security. If we, Proverbs 23, verse number 5, he said, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Are you really going to make this your target, your priority? Notice what he says, For riches certainly make themselves what, church? They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. You've heard the phrase, money talks. According to Solomon, it says goodbye. They make themselves wings and fly to heaven. He said, don't, P. 
people that were, can, can go from super successful and can have a financial reversal overnight. Businesses crash. Investments go wrong. Be careful that that's not where you're placing your trust. Number C, letter C, the third side effect. Acknowledge the side effects. Notice what he says. Destruction. Skip back to a couple verses. Verse number nine. Verse number nine. Here's one of the possible side effects. Verse number nine. But they that, here's the key word, church, will be rich. He didn't say they that are rich. That's all of us. They that will be rich fall into temptation. There's a, there's a temptation here and a snare. There's a trap. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money. Not money. If money is the root of all evil, then all of us, that's, we all have money. It's the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What does Solomon say? Timothy, please let people know money is a wonderful thing. Material blessings is a gift from God. We should be thankful for all of it. We should use it for His glory. In fact, he says it later on that they should use it to enjoy it. Be thankful. You don't have to be guilty if God has blessed you with material goods, but, but let them know there are some dangerous side effects. And the love of money, they that will be rich, those that say, this is why I'm living, I've got to get more, I've got to be successful, I've got to make that money, when I get that, then I'll, I'll be fulfilled, when I get that, then it'll, when that business gets here, when it gets there, he said, charge them. That mentality can lead people to do some really unhealthy, unethical, they'll, 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 they'll make a priority of their, their career over their family, they'll destroy their family. They'll destroy their marriage. They'll destroy. He said, be careful. The wrong mentality toward these material goods can destroy people. Destruction. If wealth came as a medicine over the counter, it would have this warning label on it. Warning. May cause arrogance. If taken for prolonged periods, may impair perception, causing you to misplace your trust. If taken incorrectly, may lead to death. If you saw a commercial for wealth on TV, it would be two people holding hands in the park, silhouetted against the sunset, while the announcer would be listing all the ways it can ruin your kidneys, rot your stomach, cause sudden heart failure, and destroy your life. Money is not wrong. We all have it. We need it. It's a wonderful tool. We just talked about folks who have generously given to the work of God. It's not wrong for Christians to work hard and to be successful in business. We ought to be some, as Christians, we ought to be some of the hardest working people, some of the, the and there's nothing wrong with, you don't need to feel guilty that you were born in America. You didn't decide or if you were or that you were able to move to America if you were born somewhere else. You don't need to feel guilty that you live in the wealthiest country in the world. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, make sure your perspective perspective towards stuff is right. Accept the label. We're rich in this world. Acknowledge the side effects, and I'm almost done. I know I've gone a little long today. Number three, adjust your heart. Adjust your heart. Would you look at verse number five? Chapter six, verse number five. You've listened well. Notice what he says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. Here he says, supposing that gain is godliness. They have a wrong, that's that prosperity gospel, a wrong view towards money. The more I have, the more God loves me. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness, notice this, with what church? Verse number six, godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. Really, if you can be content and have a great relationship with God and be, and be content with what he's given you, man, you're a rich person. 
For we brought nothing into this world, it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich, we already read that, verse number 11, here it is. Here's what he says in verse 11. Read verse 11 aloud with me, please. Ready? Begin. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. What does he say? Change your thinking. They that will be rich, snares. The love of money is the root. Man of God, flee these things. Change your thinking about what really matters in your life. Change your thinking about what what really is success in this world. Change your thinking. Counter the side effects. The key here is to possess money without it possessing you. So how is this done? We see it here uh, back in verse number, um, back at the end of, let me just see. Yep, back in the end of verse 17, two thoughts and I'll wrap it up. How, How is this done? How do we adjust our hearts? Number one, you say, I, you make a decision, I will trust God. Do you see it here in verse 17? Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. That's easy to say when the bills are paid. It's easy to say when there's money in the bank. The savings looks good. It's hard to say when the layoff comes. It's hard to say when the stock market drops. And, And what does he say here? Challenge them. That they're not—you know what we don't know? We we don't know where interest rates are going this year. We don't know what the stock market's going to do. Dogecoin may go to the moon or it may crash to the center of the earth. We don't know what's going to happen with cryptocurrency. It's all brand new. We have no idea what's going to happen with this stuff. And if we're not careful, that nest egg may dwindle to nothing. The stock market may crash. The investment opportunity may be a scam. But when your trust is in the living God, that is as sure a place as the universe has ever known. Listen to me now. Trust Him, not just with your eternity, but with your day-to-day life, with your money, with your health, with your cares, with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, Proverbs, Solomon, the richest man, and lean not into thine own understanding. all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. What is Solomon saying? Don't trust in this stuff. I I tried everything the world had to offer, and you know what I found out in Ecclesiastes? That it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. It doesn't bring the fulfillment I thought it would, but Jesus never fails. He brings fulfillment that that stuff could never bring. Trust. I will trust God when business is booming and when business is bankrupt. I'll trust God. And the second thing, I will be grateful. Do you see it in verse 17? He says, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Notice this. Who, what's that verb there, church? Who what? Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. What you have is a gift. What I have is a gift. When we understand that, it creates gratitude. I will be grateful. I will trust him, not my stuff, and I will be grateful for what he's given me. 
that opportunity, that, that resource, that, that mentor that taught me in this business, that, that, that my parents that paid for that college degree that opened this door, I will be grateful. No, it's not. I was valedictorian, and it's not. Well, I was born in this family, and it's not. Well, I got to graduate from this prestigious university, and look at all that I've done. And I'm not saying that your hard work doesn't matter. What I'm saying is make sure you remember it's Him that giveth us all things richly to enjoy. They're gifts. We, it's not from us, it's from Him. Trust in Him and be grateful. Gratitude changes how you handle your resources. Second Corinthians, Paul said to the church at Corinth, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. What does he say? When we understand that it's a gift, we're one, we're going to want to be generous with it, and two, it's going to bring thanksgiving to us. It's going to cause thanksgiving in our hearts. Our richness should produce gratitude, not guilt. I hope you're not feeling guilty this morning. That's not my purpose. On the contrary, I hope our time together this morning leaves you feeling grateful. Guilt rarely results in positive behavior, but gratitude, great things flow from a heart of gratitude. This introductory week, we need to answer the question, are you rich. Admit to yourself that we are rich in this world, even if we don't feel like it in this, in Orange County. And ask God to graciously aid you in switching your trust away from riches to truly trusting Him. And spend some time this week thanking God for all He's richly provided. Manage your resources this week out of gratitude, not guilt. We are rich. Here's what I hope this series helps us with, and, and, and we, we confront, are we good at being rich? The Bible teaches us how to be good at being rich. We are rich. Are we good at it? Sports Illustrated, Sports Illustrated told in one, one article said 78% of NFL players find themselves bankrupt or financially stressed within two years of retirement. 60% of NBA players find themselves broke within five years. Do a study on lottery winners and where their lives go. You know what the reality is? The problem wasn't, isn't that those athletes are rich. The problem is nobody has taught them how to be rich according to God's plan. Paul, well, I don't think a pastor should be preaching on this. Well, you're going to have to take that one up with Jesus and with God and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because Paul told Pastor Timothy, charge them. I want you to teach these things because your faith is intertwined with your finances. Your relationship with your stuff affects your relationship with your Savior. You can't get away from it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Next week, we'll answer the next question, and I hope that it will challenge us. And this is not just about, okay, I get it, Pastor. All right, when you put the screen up there, I'm going to give some money today. I get it. I get it. All right, I'm going to drop $10 in the offering box. I get it. I'm going to write a check. Okay, you got it. It's not what this is about. This is about what's our perspective on the things God has given us. Not just the paycheck, the resources, the relationships, the family, the business, all of those things. And are we using it for our gain or for His glory? That's the challenge. Not just, oh, I want to see some offerings go up. No, I want to see us having a healthy relationship with the things that God has entrusted to our care. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.